On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, Ketchikan's Borough Assembly will consider Tuesday eliminating nonprofit grants aimed at recreation and education. Plus, we hear from Ketchikan's State Senator Bert Stedman on the eve of the legislative session. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Rain tonight with lows around 40 and southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. On Saturday, rain with highs in the mid-40s, southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. On Saturday night, rain with lows around 40 and southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. On Sunday, scattered rain showers with highs around 40 in light winds. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Ketchikan's Borough Assembly is considering changes to its community grants program. A proposal up for debate Tuesday would narrow the focus of the program and eliminate education and recreation as goals for borough grant making. Assembly members called for revisions to the program after a heated debate over a grant awarded to the Ketchikan Pride Alliance last year. Borough Mayor Rodney Dial vetoed a roughly $1,600 grant for the LGBTQ group, the lowest amount awarded to any successful applicant last year. The Assembly later overrode the veto, restoring the funding. Under the existing guidelines, the borough takes applications under five categories. Education, animal protection, economic development, recreation, and transportation. The proposal up for debate Tuesday would take education and recreation off that list. Borough officials are asking the Assembly to agree on a formula that would determine the total amount available each year. Assistant Borough Manager Sina Gubatayo says that if the Assembly chooses to pare back its charitable giving, eliminating those two categories would be a step towards that goal. If the Assembly chooses a funding level that, that reduces the, the total amount available substantially, then what we were thinking is trying to just shrink the size of the program. Uh, and pulling those two out is one way to do it. Removing the two categories from the application pool, though, could impact local nonprofits. More than half of the 23 groups that applied for borough funding last year listed education as one purpose of the grant. Nine listed recreation. Many of those groups said in their applications that the grants would also advance the borough's economic development or other goals. But seven, including the Pride Alliance, the Domestic Violence Advocacy Group Women in Safe Homes, Ketchikan Youth Court, and the Salvation Army, listed only recreation, education, or both on their grant application. Grants to those groups totaled approximately $74,000 last year. That's about 20% of the roughly $390,000 awarded last July. But even if the Assembly eliminates education and recreation as goals for its grant program, Gubatayo says those organizations might still be eligible. It would be up to the applicant to make the argument to, um, you know, look at how their uh, program supports economic development or transportation. Gubatayo emphasized that the proposal is merely a starting point for the Assembly, which is scheduled to tackle the issue in a work session during Tuesday's meeting. In other business, the Assembly is scheduled to take a final vote on a measure that would boost the borough's spending limit by $1.9 million. Ketchikan's borough attorney said earlier this month that the measure was necessary to ensure that ballooning health care payments on behalf of the local school district didn't put the borough in violation of borough and state law. Borough Mayor Rodney Dial has pledged to veto the measure, though, if he doesn't receive a line-item budget from the school district for the fiscal year ending in June. The Assembly supported the item unanimously at its most recent meeting. Ketchikan's Borough Assembly meets at 5.30 p.m. Tuesday. That's a day later than usual due to the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday. The meeting is in Assembly Chambers at the Whitecliff Building, and it's live-streamed on local cable channels and the borough's website. Members of the public can speak to the Assembly during public hearings and at the beginning of the meeting. For almost 20 years, Senator Bert Stedman has represented much of southeast Alaska in the state legislature. District A, his district, includes the communities of Ketchikan, Wrangell, Petersburg, and Sitka, and several smaller towns in between. 
The next legislative session begins Tuesday, and for the 11th year, Stedman will co-chair the Senate Finance Committee. He'll oversee efforts to create a multi-billion dollar operating budget. There is a lot on the table. One recurring issue is the Alaska Permanent Fund. Stedman told Coast Alaska's Angela Denning that the state needs to balance its long-term fiscal health against its ability to pay large permanent fund dividends. It's not the individual dividend that creates the problem. It's when you combine everybody's dividend together, we don't have the cash. So we're going to talk about that and try to come up with how, how we could rewrite the formula and, and make some adjustments and see how that goes. But clearly there's no math model that I've ever seen that shows that we could afford to not change that dividend formula. So what I'm hearing is that maybe instead of looking for new revenue and more money, maybe looking at what the state is already getting now. Well, there is support by some legislators to impose income tax or sales tax across the state and pay it out as dividends. But you're just taking it from people that are working and spreading it out. That doesn't make any sense. I think it's unlikely we're going to pass a statewide tax, an income tax or sales tax. Well, one of the big budget items for the operating budget that you see is for the Alaska Marine Highway System. Uh, You know, Southeast and other coastal areas have not been satisfied with the lack of ferry service in recent years. I'm wondering what the legislature can do about that. What are your thoughts? Because Governor Dunleavy's administration has vetoed millions in ferry funding in his first four years in office. So he's going to be around for another four years. What would you like to see this year? <laughs> well, let's not forget that the legislature is the appropriators. But the governor has a line item veto on appropriations, and it's the strongest veto protection of any governor in the country. It takes three-quarters vote in the legislature to overturn an appropriation veto. So unless you can overturn his veto, which is unlikely, Uh, He could set that level of funding to, frankly, any level he wants. He has a very strong hand in some of the budget negotiations that take place. So I'll work with the governor to try to um, restructure the marine highway um, the best we can from our position on the coast. But not all legislators are supportive of the marine highway. And there's fewer and fewer of us on the coast relative to the rail bill. So it it is a challenge. Um, On the positive side, we've got some federal funding that Lisa Murkowski uh, structured in an appropriation bill here several months ago. And there's $200 a year for ferry systems. But we're not the only one that qualifies the state. So we're still sorting through that to figure out how much the state's going to actually get, when it's going to arrive, and then how to split it between operating costs and capital costs. So that that's a positive. But my goal is to make sure the Marine Highway still is in existence four years from now. Well, the next session of the Alaska Legislature begins on Tuesday, and members of the legislature will soon have more housing options in Juneau. As KTOO's Katie Anastas reports, legislators and staff say a new apartment building just for them could help address common challenges they face when finding housing. The Assembly Building is a three-story office building just steps away from the Capitol. 
Last month, a legislative committee approved spending $6.6 million to convert it into 33 apartments as early as next year. It could help address some of the challenges legislators and their staff often face when looking for housing. For one, the downtown location could reduce the need to bring a car. That'd be a perk for legislators like Anchorage Senator Bill Wilikowski. He stopped bringing a car with him to Juneau a few years ago, after an icy, windy stop in Whittier to drop off his car at the ferry. It was like a comedy scene. I remember I, I fell down and I couldn't get back up. And I was crawling, trying to get back to my car because it was like sheet ice and like 80 mile an hour winds. And then my glasses flew off into the, into the ocean. <laughs> it was crazy. It would also bring the amount of session housing closer to pre-pandemic levels. The Legislative Affairs Agency keeps a list of rooms, apartments, and houses for rent submitted by landlords. Executive Director Jessica Geary says the list got significantly smaller during COVID. And then there's the issue of Airbnb. We've had some people try to list using sort of their short-term Airbnb rental rates, so a few hundred dollars a night for some. And we've we've turned down those listings because we want it to still be affordable. We want Juno to be a, you know, friendly, affordable place for the legislature to come. Juno Representative Sarah Hannon chairs the committee that approved the spending. She says they haven't determined how much rent will cost. The goal is not to undercut the market, and the goal isn't really to become a profitable landlord, right? We're not going into the landlord business to make money, but I think there will be an expectation that it um, pays for itself and doesn't undercut any market that's out there. Another major benefit will be availability during special sessions. Many leases meant for legislators and staff end in late April or early May, because that's when tourism season starts in Juneau. If the session goes longer than that, Geary says, it can put tenants in a tough spot. Ships are coming earlier and earlier, so it's definitely an issue. Like, we're usually good on housing until, like, May 1st, and then it starts um, getting a little bit difficult. Mike Mason has witnessed that firsthand. He's been a legislative staffer since 2015. I mean, I can tell you horror stories of, like, I had housing uh, for us when we had five special sessions in a year. I did not have to lose my housing. Almost everybody else did. And, like, I'm stashing people's clothes in my house and all this kind of thing because people are just couch surfing. Mason is working for Anchorage Senator Lukey Tobin this year. Tobin says the housing crunch in April and May can have an impact on legislators' ability to get work done. One of the things I've noticed is that that 90-day period of time actually results in some work having to be shifted because many staffers are moving out of the place that they had secured into new accommodations. And so you you really see an impact into the speed and efficiency of some of the bills moving forward because of that unfortunate blip. The Legislative Affairs Agency still has rentals listed for the upcoming session, which starts on Tuesday. Legislators and staff still in need of housing, as well as Juneau homeowners with rentals available, can contact the agency's office. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. A professional skier came to Juneau to speak with kids last week. Her visit was part of an effort to remove some of the barriers that face Alaska Native youth who want to ski. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry has more. Ellen Bradley is a professional skier, but a trip to Eagle Crest last winter was the first time she'd ever skied in Tlingit Ani, her traditional homelands. 
Now she's working to help Alaska Native youth get everything out of skiing that she does. I think spending time on the land uh, can address so many things in a person's life, but I think mental health is especially one of them, to just move your body with the land in this winter of time, you know. At the event, they're giving away prizes like a form-line snowboard designed by Klingit artist James Johnson. There's live music by Southeast Alaska favorite Yatsin. Bradley learned to ski from her dad as a young child in Washington State. She says it helped her feel connected to the land, but she didn't see many other indigenous people on the slopes while she was growing up. Like, I had my brother and I had my dad, and everyone else I skied with was white. She says the sport can seem off-limits, even to people who are indigenous to the land a mountain sits on. Benson Bullock is helping kids sign up for ski trips with the Douglas Indian Association. So last year, we got together and my supervisor said I should figure out a way to take kids up to Eagle Crest in March and April and get them lessons, get them gear, just get kids out on the mountain. This year, he wants the program to get even more kids on the mountain. Bradley thinks that efforts to get kids in skis could mean more indigenous people in the skiing industry as a whole. So they can become the professional skiers, so they can become the ski instructors, the lifties, so they can eventually become the people running Eagle Crest. Ryland Tompkins, one of dozens of kids at the event, could be one of the future pros Bradley is thinking of. What makes it exciting? I like snow. He hasn't skied or boarded yet, but his uncle Joe Tompkins is a Paralympic ski champion. Ryland says he wants to learn too. Bradley is hopeful that more and more indigenous kids will start participating in snow sports. I think the future of skiing in Alaska is indigenous. For Eagle Crest, that future is hitting the slopes in just a few weeks. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumery. That's it for tonight's KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be off on Monday for the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday, but we'll be back with you on Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Stone.